But today we wanted to talk about Hydra, migration, relocation. Relocation. Where do you want to begin? By staying at the same place? No, I was just joking. So, um, migration or relocation has two aspects. So, number one, historic Muslim communities and populaces have moved from land to land throughout time. So as a historical phenomenon, migration is, well, migration is the oldest human activity, arguably. People are moving from one place to the other place for many reasons. And the second aspect of migration is us from a practical level. Just living in 2023, England, London, what do we want to do? Where do you want to be? Do we want to stay here? Do we want to move? Pros and cons. The reasons for moving. How long do we want to move? If we want to move. Um, and just discussing how these two considerations between the history and the theology of it links with our own personal practical experiences Let's, um, let's jump right in. What a, we have a lot of friends, a lot of colleagues we know. You yeah. read about a lot of people doing this. Um, it's often called digital nomad. So if you can work remotely, why work from the same place you've been all your life? Try yeah. something new. Uh, as well as a bunch of other reasons. Let, let's start off with a bunch of places. Let's, yeah. well, where do you think's hot right now? I think places to move, particularly within a, a Muslim diaspora context, would be the Middle East. I think that's a very popular place. Where, whereabouts? So uh, the UAE, Qatar, okay, Saudi Arabia, I think, is already, but will definitely be a booming place to go, especially with all the uh, the renovations and the, uh, the, the the Vision 2030 project, which is happening now. 2030, okay, so we've yeah. got Dubai Bling. Yeah. We've got Qatar, World Cup, you know, move in right afterwards. Yeah. We've got Vision 2030. In Saudi Arabia with all the... What's the big yeah. construction? There's, so there's the ring, the line. The line, or Neom, yeah. Neom, Neom there we go. Is, yeah, Riyadh is being um, regenerated. Um, so that, that that's, that's one of the key places of migration. Not just for Muslims, by the way. And this is one thing to kind of flag. It's not a Muslim-only thing. It's a, I'd say it's a global thing where people of all backgrounds and races or persuasions want to move even to Muslim countries like yeah. the Middle East. But it's also a, 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 Muslim, a Muslim thing as well. Like the British government's been investigating this, obviously. Neom and Vision 2030, there's a lot of money going around, a yeah. lot of construction projects, yeah. a lot of opportunity. A absolutely. And that's not just for Saudi contractors. So if a British firm could potentially move out there, yeah. help out with building this Vision 2030 absolutely. and get paid handsomely for it. And the British government's doing research into that, into, well, you know, how can we make sure we don't get left behind? You know, yeah. how do we get a, a slice of this pie? Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, let's focus on why, why are Muslims thinking to to emigrate it's not uh not like the times of the prophet peace be upon him when we're being you know slaughtered in the streets of mecca uh what what's going on there it seems mm. seems like things are okay over here yeah what do you think now that's an interesting one and we were thinking about this earlier on so when we think of migration and the reasons for migration in modern times there are probably two main reasons just generally throwing out there so number one would be economic migration for example you know moving for better prospects, work, you know, better salary, opportunities, and so forth. The second aspect for migration 
generally is uh, what we call, you know, well, persecution-related migration. So, you know, refugees, people who are fleeing very, very um, unfortunate circumstances, and our sympathy goes to them continuously. So they're moving for, for those reasons. Generally, and because it speaks to, I guess, our privilege that we are able to speak like this, when we think of moving, we think of moving usually because of economic reasons, you know, a job. But there's also another category which is arguably the most important, but we don't really think about it now. It's the religious reason for migration. So moving to live in an, an Islamic environment where you can practice your religion better or to, or to go to an environment where there may not be that many Muslims, but you're there to kind of uh, spread the religion more. So for da'wah or for uh, missionary purposes. So that's another kind of element of of migration. Now, going back to what you mentioned right now, I don't think we're in a situation where Muslims can hand on heart say that they cannot practice their religion safely in this country or that country. And that is the reason why they have to migrate. I agree there are there are reasons, you know, for example, political refugee cases or um, situations where you're fleeing because of some kind of uh, death threat which may result as a result of your religious practices, but we're not in that time anymore. It's, it's few, and, few and far between, yeah. really, with that, isn't it? Yeah. I think most scholars nowadays have said, maybe historically you thought of Dar al-Islam, like the, the abode of Islam, and maybe Dar al-Harb, which was you know the, the abode of war. But we don't live in that situation anymore, do we? Like you, you walk down to the street, you go to Morrison's, there's no, yeah. there's no bandits waiting for you, there's no war, war zone going on. Yeah. But... I think what a lot of scholars have said today is that we're in Dar al-Aman, so the place of, of trust and agreement, where we don't live in a Muslim country, but Muslims yeah. are free to practice their faith, uh, actually to a larger extent, maybe even more so than some places that have been Muslim countries in the past. So a lot of countries that used to be perhaps communist, but maybe we may think of as Muslim countries, uh, they weren't always friendly to Muslims, that like you could mm. be arrested for you know, overt religious sentiment. And I think a lot of places in the Muslim world have this sort of tension yeah. between secularism and Islam. Yeah. Uh, so you have places like Turkey, uh, actually only a few places. Um, a lot of places are very firmly Muslim countries that people might want to move to. Mm. And and on that point, just to kind of add on, and I'm sure you know this opens a whole topic in and of itself, there's also a distinction between practice in the sense of there's religious practice as in prayers and... Uh, fasting and charity uh, and education and then there's the other type of practice which is the political aspect so in a lot of Muslim countries political involvement or Islamic political involvement is often the no-go area which is seen for example to threaten the status quo that type of practice if we call it practice what, what does that mean so in the idea of say you know and just just historically you'll see uh, a lot of countries where Islamism or political Islamism or, for example, uh, an Islamic practice which is focused towards um, engineering a political movement through Islamic ideas and principles to participate in politics, either by the electoral system that we have across the world, if we consider you know, the democratic model, or via other means, revolutionary means. That type of practice, alongside 
what you consider to be religious extremism. So, you know, what we call to be, again, using these terms very loosely, terrorism, for example. That kind of sphere, that kind of circle of activity is kind of no-no. So, whereas if we distinct make distinct from that the type of religious practice or being Muslim, such as prayer, fasting, so personal religion, personal religion okay. or even social to the extent where it goes up to, say, charitable activities or educational activities or general kind of activities towards social betterment or improvement, that's fine. But when it strays into the political forward slash systemic, that's where it's kind of an issue. So it's almost like a question we have to ask ourselves existentially or... Uh, you know, um, in terms of normatively, is what is practice? You know, what type of Muslim do I want to be that may fuel my idea of whether I want to migrate or not, or can I migrate, can I not migrate? Um, so, for example, in a country like Bangladesh, um, you know, the the electoral system is very much geared towards a certain political party. If you wanted to kind of, I don't know, take part in a religious movement to overthrow the state. That is a no-no. But arguably, same anywhere on earth, if you know what I mean, right? So, What do you mean by overthrow? Because if you wanted to be involved in, let's say, political activism or yeah. some sort of opposition party in the UK, that's perfectly valid and there's legitimate out- outlooks for that. Yeah. I think on that point, when I mean overthrow, it probably is how it's perceived in certain parts of a lot of parts of the Muslim world, even just participating in political activities that will seek to contest or compete with existing political parties is a no-no. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of clear to see, right? It's going to be tough for you to start an opposition party in Saudi, for example. Exactly. exactly. Even if you just want to, you know, have a democratic, you know, you know, vanilla Islamic Put a different party. foot forward. It's a, it's a no-go. It's a no-go, right? So, okay. So... And and this kind of is twisting back to what you were mentioning. You could do that here in the UK or in the US or in Europe more easily than you could in another part a lot of, of the world. In a lot of the Muslim world. It may not be as effective. You may not get much success, but... It's possible. It's possible, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then looking at that, we've talked about economic migrants, uh, persecuted migrants, moving for political stability. But I hear all of that and I think... We see lots of young Muslims looking to move to places like the Middle East, to Turkey. Um, why are they then doing it? But it seems like the economic opportunities seem to be really good here in, in England, in London, in the or West. In the US or the West, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then it doesn't seem to be any overt persecution, would you say? Yeah, and I think I think there's... Now that, now that we touched upon this, and I think that's a really excellent point here, I think there's a growing frustration and sentiment amongst young Muslims or dissatisfaction with places of privilege like the UK, maybe like the US, where, you know, costs of living, interest rates are rising, taxes increasing, um, we're entering arguably into a recession. Okay, so economically? Economically. People are earning a lot, but then they're spending a lot. Spending a lot. Can't keep up with rent, cost of living, cost of food even. Yep. Okay. The number one, the second aspect is the way of life. I think people are becoming more and more disassociated, especially as a result of the pandemic with the the lifestyle that is present in a Western country where, you know, long hours, um, you know, 
I know we've got things like working from home and agile working and all this stuff, but the work-life structure of the UK, which can be geared towards, for example, just in the UK, no one ever has enough time. Everything has to be done very quickly. Everything's in a rush. Things take long. You know, things, you know, issues like that, people are growing more and more disassociated with and want to be in a position where, even if it's as a myth, oh, in this country, they work like this, or you have prayer breaks, or you don't have to work 9am till midnight every day. You can go home at four o'clock and spend time with your family, but still make a lot of money or this and that. So this this kind of lifestyle, work-life balance thing, alongside the money issues such as, oh, in the Middle East country, you know, you don't get taxed or it's tax-free or low tax or whatever you want to call it, is, is I think, becoming quite attractive. So work-life balance as well, as well yeah. as, I guess, forms of entertainment. Here yeah. we have a lot of bars and pubs, restaurants as well, uh, restaurants that might often serve alcohol. If you go to somewhere like... Turkey, for example, I mean, Turkey has quite a mix. There's quite a strong secular slant to yeah. many areas of Turkey, but there's also very strong religious parts of Turkey where you yeah. won't find Same any in alcohol. Same UAE, for example, you find alcohol, I'm sure, in bars and pubs. Exactly, but if um, you want to avoid it, you can as you well. Can. Yeah. You know, you're going to have a lot of halal options, like you have a lot of sporting yeah. options, like water sports and various things, which it's going to be a lot colder to do water sports over here. Yeah. So yeah, I guess so. Entertainment we're saying is another or, or luxury or okay. Yeah, and and fam. So I mean, this idea of and I've heard this as well. And on that point, and this is something which I've heard repeatedly throughout my childhood or whatever. It was, oh, you can't raise kids in a Western country. Oh, gonna move to a Muslim country, raise my kids there. Now I'm not saying I'm not this casting no aspersions on that, and that's probably a very noble thing to believe in. And I think that's. Because that is what is also fueling a lot of people's motivations for wanting to move. This idea that moving to a Muslim country, for example, or another country where you can raise your kids in a way in which the educational system or the uh, social system or the value system is more aligned with what you believe in to be correct Islamically, number one. The second point is that uh, you also have the commodities or entertainment options, as you mentioned, or things to do which are again more aligned with your Islamic beliefs. And number three, uh, this idea of uh, being in a community. And I think this is something which since, I think in a post-recession world that we have in the West, where the rat race or the desire to earn money or the desire to progress uh, in terms of your career or your opportunities has created more and more and more kind of marginalized uh, kind of units and has broken down, I think, the community structure a lot more. This is just evident, even just in front of you, where you just see chains everywhere in London, for example. London is just a chain city. And independent businesses, for example, are not as flourishing as how it probably was 25 years ago. I mean, not that you know, I would have been conscious then but of, of this stuff, but, you know, just as a, as a historical mini example. So these kind of things, this notion of a community, a myth almost, this, oh, there's a community there. There's a group of people I find there that are like me, that we can mix with, this community, this, this home from a home, this, oh, oh, if I was to move to X country, there's so many other like-minded people, yeah. Muslims or not, 
okay. and that I can bond with. But I don't have my place here in a city like London where there's millions of people. The classic rhetoric. Yeah. yeah. Or people who say they feel too too Muslim to live in the West, but then too Western to live anywhere else. So yeah. it's this classic dichotomy that people complain about. Yeah. I think uh, it's a good point. So a lot of people you mentioned, if we go back, mentioned it's not acceptable to raise your kids in the West, but then clearly they were raised in the West. What are they saying about, about themselves? Do they yeah. not think yeah. they were raised okay? And I think that's also, I think that sentiment becomes very mixed in with cultural elements. Yeah. So I think, for example, if someone was a, a British Muslim, like a white convert, and then they were raising their kids in the UK, do you think they would have the same sentiment that, mm. oh, it's not possible? I think they would be much more comfortable marrying the two. Mm. I mean, there's sure still going to be challenges and there can often be a lot of familial challenges for sure. It's not never mm. an easy thing. But I think a lot of that idea of, oh, we need to move back to a Muslim country often comes from a, a cultural standpoint as well. So tell me more, what happened to those people who said it's not acceptable to raise, you know, Muslims in the West who were, I assume, themselves just raised in, in the UK and in London. The UK, right? So, I think, and, 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 so it's interesting because it's, as you pass through generations or pass through moments, key moments, you see what's happened. So over the past 20-odd years, so we've gone through... Um, an area where you had the war on terror and that's been a great phase where Muslims were almost in a position of, you know, a, a defensive position and a kind of an ideological crisis kind of situation where they were thinking, what you know, who are we, what are we doing, um, you know, where felt, are we going? May have felt a bit on the back foot, always yeah, having to justify foot. themselves as just being nice people, not being not being terrorists, a bit of a, exactly. a trope from the last couple of decades. Exactly. Okay. And then that's kind of subsided now and we're entering a world where um, the big issues of the day are no longer Islamic terrorism, for example, which was probably one of the big issues of the day again, again, 10, 20 years ago. It's more, you know, you've got the, just talking from 2023, you've got the, you know, the the, the, the global conflicts we're having now, you know, over, you know, Russia and the West and, and so forth um, and, 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 you know, China, whatever. Uh, then you've got that's one point you've got inflation you've got economic crises which has been again a theme uh, the third thing is uh an issue of identity um sexual identity gender um, that's a huge issue relationships and uh kind of um, meaningful relationships um, that's also a big issue right now uh, for amongst young people um the rise of social media and uh, the, the 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 decay of our economy as a whole has also led to a push towards uh, entrepreneurialism. So this idea of doing something, this output culture which we have now, where young people like even if it's oh I've got to make a TikTok, I've got to get views, I've got to get followers. Ironically, we're here in this situation right now, but this kind of output culture which wasn't there when I was very very young, right? This idea oh you've got to make it nowadays. There's this productivity kind of oriented culture, tech, big tech. You know, tech has created so many opportunities and things like that. So all these things which have happened, a lot of people have passed through generations are thinking, I don't want my kids growing up in this environment. I had a better environment, for example. So you think it's the old age-old age old adage where people say, things were better when I was a kid. Now, there you are. Now it's too crazy. Now, now it's too we crazy. can't live here. Yeah, London's a sinking ship. UK's a sinking ship. Crime is off the roof. Knife crime is blah, blah, blah. Is it? Is it... 
a case or is it that we're just you know nostalgizing over our own you remember past? the good bits and then you say well, what's the solution yeah well we need to move back move back to the subcontinent where and exactly exactly where where would you move back to and i think a lot of people find that maybe not not universally but a lot of the, their parents generation maybe yeah came here came to the uk from the subcontinent yeah uh, they they sought economic opportunity like you mentioned yeah uh, hopefully they found that uh, but they also guarded their their Islam. They guarded their faith because they yeah. knew this was something important, something different, and yeah. they understood. Look, we're not in a Muslim country, so if you live in a Muslim country, ideally, and this is probably why a lot of people migrate, but ideally, your your kids can go to the madrasa every day. They're yeah. at school, socializing with other Muslims. They're never made to feel like outsiders as Muslims. Yeah. They're never made to feel like their religion is something strange. And hopefully, if they're interacting with other young Muslims or parents or other teachers who have the same faith, they'll they'll learn and just naturally through osmosis from the environment, mm. they're going to learn most of what they need to know about their faith. Yeah, but I think a lot of parents were cognizant when moving to this country or anywhere really into a non-Muslim country. They realized, well, this is something important for our children. Mm. We want to make sure we retain this and they continue to understand and believe in this faith and understand the importance it has to them and as it does to us. And so they sought to educate their kids. And perhaps actually their siblings and their cousins left home back home in Muslim countries. Those countries maybe became more secular over the years, yeah. became less practicing. And now we find this unique situation in Britain where you have a lot of young British Pakistanis that are very practicing and, and a lot of other ethnicities as well are very practicing. But it's, they, re it's, it's complete opposite to how it is. In and the, yeah, and they go back and visit their cousins. And they're, they're very westernized. And they've, yeah, they've maybe lost touch with their faith. They yeah. don't. They're not interested in, in praying all the time. It's maybe more more of a cultural uh, token. So it's quite interesting in that sense. So and I think there's two points arising out of that, and that's kind of an interesting one you mentioned, this kind of where is home. So I think the idea of myth. So we often, again, we as we said, we create communities or create notions or places of kind of abode in our minds. A, say the subcontinent, go back to subcontinent, move back here. Yeah, build the country up, you know, make the most of the opportunities. On one hand, there's that. So you go there, but then you ask someone very, very seriously, do you really think you can? And most people will say no. I mean, will you? Will you really do it? Again, I say most will say no. Why? I don't have friends there. I don't know. I don't know people there. Or how am I going to make friends? Or they won't understand me. Or they're too westernized. Or... Not only are they too westernized, they're westernized to the point where it's a caricature of the West, if you know what I mean, right? It's almost like they're, you know, they're so westernized, they'll want to eat at KFC and watch Hollywood films and, uh, you know, listen to rock music because they think everybody in the West listens to rock when people don't listen to rock anymore, if you know what I mean, right? It's almost like a like an idealized MTV, CNN a discovery channel view of the west if you know what i mean right almost yeah. almost a tourist touristy view of the west like there's a lot of great stuff about living in the uk there's a lot of rich rich heritage a lot of great educational systems yeah. uh, there's a strong history of you know good british music as well but people then tap into that western zeitgeist and think yeah we'll eat kfc and they kind of somehow end up picking the worst parts out of the it, worst parts the most again which has just been you know put out there by you know the american or the british kind of multimedia export but then on that point there's also this and this is genuine and i was saying this as well i think we're in this era now and i'm sure you might have thoughts where 
post war on terror we're seeing in this era where muslim nations are actually flourishing economically uh, in terms of development in terms of uh, projects or technology or uh, import export or industry arguably unlike what we've seen in our lifetime so even if country even countries like uh, obviously not across the board but countries like you know the middle east countries like malaysia even countries like say bangladesh with its garments import export there's there's opportunity more than there was before and that's the the age and the progression of nations so they're thinking hang on there's a moment here where we can you know tap into we need to be part of the change otherwise we'll be left behind so there's also like a genuine i think there's a genuine merit in wanting to move as well for economic purposes um and on that point as well i think there's also this idea of how long do we migrate for so you know when the you know say the kind of the parents generation of the generations before us who migrated so let's call it economic migrant and obviously this is as a caveat it's not meant as a pejorative in any way right you know economic migrant is not meant to think oh you only moved cuz you're broke that's not the the point of economic migrant is for better opportunities better life to progress but there's also like another angle where it's for um there's like a colonial element to it this idea of obviously britain after world war 2 um needed people from the empire or the former empire the co- commonwealth as we now know it to come and help rebuild the nation so where we say economic migrants we often think economic migrants here to a lot of people again pejoratively to to leech off the system whereas the scales are very much the other way around where it's economic migrants are those who ate for themselves sort to thrive and flourish but also to contribute and help and grow so you look at the nhs where without the you know the contribution of economic migrants what we call you know people from all over the world the nhs wouldn't be what it is today it's, uh, it's a two way street it's a two way street and i think canada has been very good at acknowledging this that yeah. immigration is good not just for people seeking to a move to life. a richer country but they in turn make that country richer like yeah, they the host country benefits more arguably uh, yeah right? they're not yeah. just taking money from the bank and running off somewhere they're earning money yeah. and they're earning money by contributing to society productively it's a very simple concept but unfortunately it, something that gets forgotten quite it a lot. gets forgotten right it's even then and even even on the um in the US i remember speaking when i was there saying like undocumented migrants and legal migrants of course the policies we got to deport them we got to send them back blah, blah, blah. but economically the net outcome is actually beneficial for the economy by having undocumented migrants because they bring the prices in check they bring the you know when they do undocumented work or informal labor they're still they're still doing labor they're still labor right i mean yeah they're not getting taxed it's obviously better for people to be part of the system but ultimately they're they still the, working and they keep the prices lower you know just just purely economically they they because obviously they'll do something for cheaper so there's like a market it keeps the market in check as opposed to overinflation or the price is going too high so there is a strategic uh outcome to it. obviously not saying okay let's have all undocumented migrants i'm not trying to condone a policy one or the other way but there is a there is a value to it um say islamically or looking at islamic history we should like kind of interject and throw some kind of gems from the past so I remember we were you were telling me earlier on about the original purpose of migration when it came to the sahabas and the prophet. So there's w- quite there's quite a few examples aren't there? Yeah. So I mean we obviously have the original migration the hijra. So when like we started off we were saying like when the muslims 
first started in Mecca, Prophet what, Muhammad, peace be upon him. Yeah. So he was, he was preaching to to all, all the people in Mecca and you know, with varying levels of success. Some people followed him, believed him very strongly, and other people were very much against yeah. that, like hugely against that, to the extent that the early Muslims were being attacked, slaughtered in the streets, and it became untenable for them yeah. to live, to remain living in their homeland. So they actually had to leave their homeland and their ancestral homeland to go to go somewhere else to seek safety. So I think there was, there was a few migrations, actually there was the original migration to Abyssinia, to Ethiopia, where Muslims went to seek uh, protection under, it was a Christian king, I believe. That, so they, they sought safety there. And then later, the rest of the Muslims uh, migrated to Medina to seek to seek peace for themselves. It wasn't a, an easy migration to begin with. A lot of them became sick and it became horrible to the extent they said, oh, we should have stayed in Mecca, even mm. though the persecution they were facing there was terrible. But over time, that became became their home and eventually they were able to go back to Mecca. But I think that's the, the prime example of migration, isn't it? Migration for the sake of preserving your faith, preserving your life. Mm. Is that, life. Is that a case today, though? It seems like people aren't fleeing for the sake of their lives. But I, th I think faith is a, is a reason a lot of people state. Uh, I don't know if they'll find that, though, going to a ostensibly Muslim country. But how Muslim is the lifestyle there? Yeah. If you're, Are you actually going to be close to a masjid where you can pray regularly? Are you going to be able to live a more, you know, a more fulfilled life in tune with your community? Or are you just going to go somewhere where you maybe don't speak the language? You're not close to a masjid. You're not really able to do much apart from go to work, come home, see your family. Uh, what do you think? And, and that's that's absolutely fascinating. And and just going to add one insight. It's also how long do you migrate for? So just just on the on that point. So interesting about the prophet's situation was obviously life and preservation of religion so two kind of core reasons which motivated their their move uh, it was a life and death situation and then they moved as you said to uh, Abyssinia and then thereafter they moved to uh, you know Medina which is where they find their eventual home there were other parts where they were going to move to such as Taif or the prophet went uh, to visit Taif and then they were rejected from that place so they t tried again um on that point, there was two kind of issues here. Firstly, it's you know the idea of migration. We often think, is it permanent or is it temporary? So the the idea was the prophetic migration was in some respects permanent, but it was also temporary. What I mean by that is Medina became a home and it is a home to this day, but ultimately they returned back. So went back to Mecca you know, the conquest of Makkah or the vindicate. There was a vindication. There was a return to the place that had, uh, you know, rejected or, you know, rejected the message. Whereas we often see Muslim communities or whatever who have migrated, they settle, which is fine, of course, and they settle in one place and then they never leave that place ever again. But then the problem, there, was a, there was a reversion back to the place that they wanted to stay in the beginning. So Makkah was the jewel. That was the, you know, the Kaaba, the city. And that was kind of, that became the city of Islam afterwards. So there, there's that element. So there was a there was a, a t permanence in the sense that Medina became what it was, remained what it was, but then Mecca became open for them. So on that point, I think with uh, migration for religious purposes and things like that, I would also add that it was also economic as well and for a good purpose. So 
I mean, the Muslims were, were boycotted for many years in, in Mecca. In Mecca. Where no one could do business with them, sell food to them. And it got to a point where they were effectively starving as well as not being able to do business. That meant not being able to buy food. Mm. So that was also part of the, the migration. Part of the, curve, uh, part, of, part of the reasons. And when they did migrate, two kind of things. Firstly, the creation of a stable legal system which allowed um, trade... Um, and allowed uh, community kind of understanding. There were also wars, mini wars or mini skirmishes with existing tribes to sort out differences, all to create a stable society. Um, the second thing was economic projects. So uh, there was the Prophet and his men. They developed um, water wells and, you know, developed the waterways in Medina, which was an economic and a infrastructural uh, benefit and the other thing was the agricultural focus where i believe you know the prophet said to people if they were to cultivate land and they could make use of the land grow grow things and sell it and eat it and whatever it was their land so it's kind of you know make the most of the land and the opportunities and the irrigation systems that you have to kind of economically flourish so there was a legal forward slash economic project to it and this created a strong basis for the Muslims to grow. Interestingly as well, when he was in Medina, there were lots of caravan um, skirmishes with the Quraysh, where, you know, where the Quraysh would... And, and, and so there was a position of, you know, there was some conflict. It wasn't war, but there was... When I mean conflict, it was, you know, you know, the caravan raids and things like that. So these things did happen where they would capture some, um, you know, items from... Or, or beauty from some of the. Um, so it wasn't just right. a it wasn't just a panacea where they moved and everything was good. No, they exactly. Still, you faced had... resistance, right? And you had to protect yourself because, you know, just just I'm uh, you know I'm I'm not a general or military strategic strategist, but just thinking if the courageous thinking he's gone to another state, and he's developing a a base, he's developing an army, he's developing a blah blah blah. You know, that's a threat that's growing. So obviously you, you need to have preemptive so defense plan. They thought uh, Yeah. As we do in all states, you know. So yeah, so they had they had fights and so it wasn't just a panacea once no. they moved, they still had challenges. Yeah. But ultimately they moved for theological reasons of, yeah. of safety, protecting their faith, and also economical reasons that they still had a thriving thriving free market where they traded and continued yeah. to do business. They didn't just migrate as like a CTEX and no. live out in the desert. Yeah, just kind of on on wild roots and herbs and and whatever. So they had a a rational, worldly, as well as a spiritual and theological uh, basis for migration. And importing that understanding again to where we are today, maybe less so for the kind of theological transitions. Um, I think it would be hard to move somewhere for, for myself. Like you have so many friends and family around here as well as just... The memory and the knowledge of the city. Like yeah. when you walk from here, you go, you go west, you go east. You have areas you recognize, and you can say, "Oh, this is where my friend used to live. This mm. is where I used to go to school. This is the restaurant we used to like." Mm. You have like a good understanding and history with the city, and I think if you left that all behind and went to a new place, okay, you could maybe maybe find a job, you know, find a new school, a new community, but it would be you'd have to start everything from scratch. You wouldn't have that deep connection and maybe that's a, a good way to mm. live even economically right i mean just yeah. starting from zero right I exactly mean, yeah. yeah maybe that's a good way to live in the dunya where you've sort of 
you're not too attached to anything and, and attached to this history. But at the same time, I think I think for me, family would be the hardest thing. And I think as well for the early Muslims that migrated, why did they go back in the end? Mm. Um, a lot of them still had their, their property and their family in Mecca, which they went back to claim. Mm. And now that you mention that, that's very interesting because the way I think the thinking is going towards is might sound ambitious but to think global and to think multiple abodes and i think we're moving towards that understanding where a you know move for this is a common one like this everyone knows oh move to x place for five years make loads of money come back buy a house you know this you know this idea right you know move to a tax-free jurisdiction make loads of money for a short period of time whether it's the middle east or somewhere else and come back buy a house in the uk live here have a chill so i've had that combo so, uh, so a temporary migration temporary so not migration. just a not a i'm moving to live in a new country forever but let me try something else out what do you what do you think of that i think that's the not so much on the money side but i think that's a brilliant idea to go and live somewhere for a year because yeah. there's so much about the uk that we like and that we dislike and then there's a million things in between that we don't think anything of but are remarkable yeah things like the education system we think is fine or possible we don't realize necessarily how good it is yeah. until we see something else. Yeah, uh, London is technically classed as a forest. Yeah. So what is a forest? Is a group of trees, obviously. Uh, but how many trees do you need before it's a forest? So there's some definition of how many trees per square mile make up a forest. And London yeah. technically is a forest. So I have friends that moved to Malaysia for a bit. And I was like, yeah. genius. You've got the masjids. You've got the weather. You've got the halal food. Uh, still a nice developed country you've got a lot going on there there's good infrastructure multicultural diverse or, you know yeah. yeah exactly you've got uh, ethnicities you've got, yeah you've still got your multiculturalism and you have a very strong muslim community uh but there just weren't any trees <laughs> it was just a yep. very uh, the, the bits that were urban were very urban and it was hard to find like a nice park or a good area with trees to just look around and so all these things you know i look out the window see a bunch of trees and just think okay th that's nice you don't realize necessarily what you're missing when you move and maybe mm. you go somewhere like dubai and you maybe that you find the infrastructure isn't what you thought it would be there's no public transport unless you're driving everywhere it's mm. maybe not so easy to get around everywhere's air the conditioned weather. yeah and also this kind of what we talked about this kind of hyper consumerism and desire for heritage so this idea of new countries or new builds or new water sport it sounds Aquatic great center great but it's, then it's like uh, there's only so much of yeah uh, so much golden steak and oh, wegu burgers that yeah. will keep you it's all surface level at some point isn't it you think well their westfield's bigger than ours but then you don't appreciate like or the infrastructure, the roads, the old buildings that make up the rest of the city that maybe you appreciate. Even the grime, even the dirt, even the... You miss the dirt. Down, yeah, you miss that. I mean, even the cracked down streets. So uh, that's interesting you say that because I think some, some kind of friends of mine or family or whatever have emigrated to the States. And a lot of them say, so I went to the States, you know, most powerful country on earth, biggest economy on earth, you know, endless opportunities. But... There's mass loneliness and nothing's close by and you've got to drive two hours to get a bottle of milk. Uh, it's depressing, whatever the people. The, food, the food's not as good quality. food's not as good quality over here. You go to Morrison's, you have a, you know, you're full of fruit, fresh vegetables, fresh milk, and it's of good quality. Like we're used to it. We don't necessarily appreciate that. 
But sometimes you go to other countries and you're like, well, the tomatoes here barely even have any flavor. The cheese doesn't melt. Like, what's going on here? And Europeans then look at us and say, you guys think you have tomatoes. You should see what we're eating. What we're having. It. Yeah, so, yeah or the French, or, you know, what the exactly. French or the Italians say or, or Spanish say. So exactly that. So And then, the, you know, the whole grass is green on the other side thing. And then, whereas in London, for example, just thinking about London, London being a you know, forest, but also, now that you mentioned that, it's almost like a, a collection of villages. Like London being, you know, all the boroughs we have, they're all little ecosystems and it's like a, it's like a little bead, like it's a very, necklace. very European. You have very walkable cities. We walkable say. cities, right? So yeah. like from here, I can get basically anything I need. There's a, there's a mosque, there's a, there's a local high street, there's a train station. And then when you need the bigger things, you need a large shopping center. It's also a short bus ride away. And you've got the Elizabeth line. Exactly. There we go. Change the game. Why would you leave London when you've got the Elizabeth Absolutely. line? Absolutely. Like you could, the other day I was on it and I thought if I just stay on it, I might end up in Africa. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it goes everywhere. That needs to be the next stop on the Elizabeth line. Absolutely. Then, Why not? Then yeah. then you'll never never need to leave. <laughs> never need to leave, right? And I'm telling you, like it's that's it just changes the game. So on 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 that point, like you you again, when you think about quality of life, it's also there's a relativity to it. So you know how we say, oh, and we do this. Oh, in this country you've got low tax rates. Oh, in this country, you've got high tax. But then somehow you'll find often there's a balancing out somewhere or the other. So in the US, the tuition fees or the healthcare or general thing, you know, cost of living. Like in the US, I mean, I was there, you know, $10 is almost like, you know, here's $10, you just throw it away. Whereas a t- I know it's so pur- you know, purchasing power. Purchasing is very, right. very, very, very weak. Obviously, you earn more, but it, you know, you feel the burn, especially in places like New York or whatever. Or to buy as well, people say, I think a lot of people have done the calculations. You can find it online, but they say, okay, there's no tax. But actually, because the cost of living is higher, you maybe aren't even actually able to save that much more. Yeah. I think after a certain amount, then suddenly, yes, you are able to save a lot a lot yeah. more because you're not getting taxed. But for a lot of people in, in you know normal jobs, or even really good jobs, the cost of living has gone up by so much. Yeah. It doesn't really balance out. It doesn't out. Really balance it out. Even in, the, um, even in other countries. So I know Belgium, for example... Um, they have can have higher salaries than in the UK, and you think okay, but in Belgium, for example, the tax is much higher as well than the UK. I know the UK has higher tax rates than say places like the US, generally, um, but less than other parts of continental Europe. So, it, and and also the UK has, in my view, lot a lot more things or you know things to do or things to see or stuff to do then that's, that's a really yeah. interesting or well, the weirdest one i heard and i'd never conceived of this um but i heard some some family in mauritius were telling me actually one thing they were looking forward to moving or moving or coming to the uk even briefly for was for bookshops mm. and they said they just didn't have great quality bookshops in wow. uh in mauritius like they weren't that many and i would you know yeah talk to friends in other countries and actually it's a big thing some a lot of countries just don't have that many bookshops so mm. i talked to a friend in Botswana who was saying they have like one or two bookshops they can think of uh nearby i was like that's crazy i can think of one like i live in obviously a small suburb and i can think of two just on our local high street as well as you know countless in the center of town and if you go to a westfield you'll have loads yeah oh that's interesting i mean on that point as well i mean um obviously we were mentioning how london's become very chainy um but on that point as well i mean london in terms of shopping just 
speaking very basic here, I don't think there's any place on earth that can probably compare. It just if you want to buy stuff, there's nowhere else on earth just clothes or electronics or just I don't know. I don't. I've not been everything. Well, just think. Why do tourists come to London? It's actually really fun. As I mean, as Londoners, and this is a very London-centric problem. Actually, I'll come back to that in a minute. But why do tourists come to London? They enjoy the food. Yeah. The sights. The shopping, the galleries, and the museums. Often, most yeah. of them are and free. Often free, yeah, uh, and it's really fun. Parks, for, yeah, it's really fun for us just to actually. We don't do this often enough, but to take a weekend, maybe even take some annual leave, and say, I'm not going to spend you know a couple hundred pounds going abroad. I'm going to stay in London for the weekend. I've got some of the best restaurants in the world already on my doorstep, galleries, parks. Some of the again, some of the best in the world for free. Uh, be a tourist in your own city, and I, coming back to that, I'd say it's kind of a unique problem in London that we think. We're born here, educated here, raised here. We have a job here. We'll, you know, raise our kids and we'll die here. Yeah. Whereas actually for a lot of other places, even within the UK, people might be born in, let's say, you know, Birmingham or up north or somewhere. Fine. And it's good to grow up there and to be educated there. But people know they'll move somewhere else mm. for for work. So they mm. might move to London. And I had a friend that was based a little bit outside of Oxford. And he put it really well. He said it was a small, small town. So Oxford is obviously a smaller city. This was a small town outside of Oxford, so really small. And he said, you know, it was a great place. I think it was called Banbury. He said it was a great place to to be born and a great place to die. It's a very, you know, very quiet. But for everything in between, you want to be somewhere a bit more, a bit more happening. So you want to be in Oxford or you want to be in London. Uh, so maybe this temporary migration is similar. You've had a bit of time in in London in the UK, maybe a bit of time in in Dubai, but. I think you can't. You can, yeah, it depends on your situation, but you can't. I don't think you can lose out too much by spending, you know, six months or a year abroad and just seeing, seeing how it is, and then you come back. I think with renewed appreciation for everything you've taken for granted and seen uh, during your time in the UK. Mm. And having jobs or having a more agile working type policy, where, well, bearing in mind the limitations that might happen because of practicalities or uh, time zones and things like that. It is somewhat possible to work from abroad or to live in different countries even for a short time and then come back. My friend, for example, was recently in Qatar and he went to Qatar to network and he's thinking, mm, I wouldn't mind to live here for a bit and see how it goes. And he said all the positive things of Qatar that you'd think from him wanting to live in a Muslim country. Think, oh, yeah, you know, there's free buses. I think he said free transport uh, over there. Um people are very friendly uh, you know lots of opportunity for tech um he found you know it's a startup you know countries developing startup country startup uh, atmosphere but then he said but there's nothing to do in his view and he said there's only so many shopping centers you can go to and i've crossed them all off the list and then you know i went to the museums there's only about two i think he went to and i kept going to the same ones again and again and again and again I was getting bored I would still like to live there but I'm not sure if I could live there for very long so this is kind of like a bit of a bit of an understanding that he had of say Qatar and he said that um oh yeah and one thing he also said was the atmosphere in comparison to what he thought was probably less uh, overtly Islamic so someone like the UAE or where you have more um you know, right. alcohol if that's an issue or clubs or whatever you know you have more of that in the UAE less but in Qatar less of that okay yeah so he said okay so in that for him that was better but overall he still preferred 
living in London, but he would still want to live in Qatar for a bit. And I was thinking, can I negotiate with my employer? Can I live from abroad and work? Can I move? Can I get a visa? How do I do it? So these practicalities are now playing in his mind. Where do we go? What's my tax status? So that's another thing. Like, can I be, if that's I right. work there, how long for six months? Do I pay UK tax? Do I pay this tax? You know, for example, in the US, you still pay taxes in the US, uh, yeah. you know, even if you live abroad. But in the UK, it's very generous. You can be considered to be a non-resident you know, non-resident uh, in the UK if you live above a certain period, so you don't pay taxes. So, you know, there's so many uh, issues to consider. But as you said, like people are thinking about these things and thinking about having some kind of a, a combo. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like you mentioned, people, I think Muslims often think, okay, I want to move to a Muslim country where I feel more comfortable. Yeah. And they think just by moving to a Muslim country like Qatar, there'll be some sense of cultural familiarity. And actually they go there and they just find another disconnect. It's just another culture they don't connect to. Yeah. It's just another country they go to and it, it seems foreign when they get to Qatar. Yeah. Um, but I like what you're saying about remote work now. It opens up so many opportunities I think for myself, I'd really like to move abroad for a bit. Maybe just, you know, six months here, six months there. And just experience that. When you can work remotely, you do everything from your laptop. Why not see the world a bit and actually yeah. get to experience a different culture? Now that you mentioned that, and that's actually quite interesting because, say, practicing law or in the legal field, um, one thing which I see or one thing which I have seen is there's a... Um, and I'm sure you have a similar notion or maybe not but there is a notion of career suicide and the idea is if you move to a jurisdiction which you know might have more favorable tax situations or you might be paid more but when you go there it might blacklist you from the market might make you what does that mean exactly so I'll give an example, like if you were to, for example, move to a jurisdiction like, I don't know, the UAE, or if you were to move to a jurisdiction which is offshore, you might be paid better after you consider all the tax advantages. But the quality of work that you're being exposed to in a country like there is less than the quality of work you'd get in a country like the UK or the US where you're working on cutting edge deals, for example. That's really interesting. and that's one element. So the idea is, if I go there, will I be able to come back? Now, in some fields, you can. So, for example, I've heard that, and you can correct me or tell me, like in tech, if you were to go to a startup in Qatar and then, you know, you know, become a CEO there or CTO there, and then you come back, you're fine. You know, the UK will look after you. The US will look after you. Other areas, you go there, and then you want to come back to a top-level practice in the UK might be a bit of an issue so because it's idea the idea was well yeah i know you made more money but you kind of went to an easier jurisdiction if you know what i mean that kind of stereotype so but then then another thing you're going to tell me is who gives a damn you know ultimately are you doing this for what's on paper or for your life for your goals for your aims for your family for your mental health is it for what's written on your cv and whether it's prestigious or not you know are you going to spend 20 years in one country suffering not that you are suffering we're still in positions of privilege just so a recruiter will be impressed by your cv or would you go to another country where you can as you said have that flexibility develop relationships with people and more money net and have a better life so you know there's loads of considerations to be had that's a really interesting point i've always heard that a job should be for learning or earning and ideally both 
And so if you go to a, another country, right, that's really interesting what you said, you might be staffed on less interesting deals. So even though you're earning, you're maybe not learning as much. And so you're limiting your potential down the road. And, and you I get typecast as a result of that. You yeah. get typecast, okay. Yeah. And I know for tech, a lot of the industry is, um, especially around entrepreneurship, is around who else you know and who else you can benefit from and the ideas that you can exchange with other people. And so I think one of the big benefits of being in a place like London or New York or San Francisco is that you find a lot of people with a similar mindset, a similar entrepreneurial mindset, similar work ethic. There's a lot going on. And that's something that was criticized a lot in Oxford in the computer science department is that people would come from America and they would say, this department is just not, it's very academic. There's not people, people aren't talking about startups or industry or how they can you know, revolutionize things with what they're learning. People are just kind of doing their work and then maybe doing a PhD afterwards. And it's all very academic. Whereas Technical, right? As opposed to whereas, innovative. Whereas in Stanford, yeah, exactly. It was technical and innovative where people would learn something and then talk about, okay, how can we apply this? What what can we be starting up? And there was just a, a bustling feeling in the cafeteria or so I hear. And so you go somewhere where maybe you, you're hoping you'll find that in the community, but maybe you don't find that in your work mm. and maybe do you find that in the community so maybe that's the big thing i think we've kind of danced around it but it's the big thing that a lot of people will move out to turkey or dubai or qatar as they say it's good for their dean and you know if you're practicing in your home you're praying on time how is it good for your dean if it's the same here and the same there i think ideally it's just because the environment is better mm. ideally and so if you have a community there that sounds like it, it would be great but is it always there? Is it always easy to find the community? Mm, what do you I, think? Absolutely. I think the finding the community is actually a key term because, I mean, you know, if we thought of it this way, where we're just looking for like-minded people, well, then we'll have, there will be no community, if you know what I mean, right? I mean, just think of it as a concept. Community is a group of people with, you know, coming together and living together and not with think... yeah, not with identical kind of aspirations but with like-minded or similar kind similar of visions yeah but i think sometimes people fall into that trap where they look for a community of That's a mirror of themselves exactly they want people that are the same age same ethnicity same social standing and they just then they'll feel most comfortable but allah says that he created us as, as nations and tribes to know each other yeah that we're meant to step out of our comfort zone a bit we're meant to mix with people that are a bit different or maybe very different from mm. ourselves not even just other muslims but all of all of mankind are meant to come together to, to help each other and build something if you want as you said you stay where you are if you know what i mean you know if it's you you know tafiq grew up in london x age studied here but stay where you are if you know what i mean right you know it's just i want to go here because i want to find people like me but people like you from here Oh, right. Actually, yeah, I never thought about that. You know, that's, that kind that's of... an excellent point. If I go to Turkey, it's a Muslim country, but am I going to find people like me? Well, that's highly unlikely. I'm yeah. going to find other Londoners in Turkey. Yeah. And, and this is an interesting point. You know, this idea of a community. Are we also, and this is, an, are we, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not going down the integration or assimilation or non-integration debate, but this idea of a community, this kind of hidden away, like kind of complex almost, this kind of, I want to go to a country where I find people like me and then we can be in a little bubble and then we can be too and we do our own thing. And it almost becomes like a cult that way, you know, this kind of... But but at the same time, I believe that even in a city like London, there is a beauty in being cosmopolitan. 
and being amongst the different cultures and different ideas and different thinking and you know to some extent you know weaving in and around these th thoughts but at the same time retaining a level of kind of inner community too so i think one thing we have growing up in london being born here is we have a bit of an access that gives us a privilege like we've got the we've got a kind of inner inner kind of community you've got your friends your family your your home your your ends you've got your ends but then you've got this kind of other london wider cosmopolitan urban self you know your work your professional your social your outwardly thing but then you have your ends you know if you know what i mean right you've got your your con you know your place but you're not kind of necessarily stuck in you know one so this kind of outward community inward community kind of complex whereas if we were to come completely uproot and go to some other place what about then you know what you do we have do? your your inner circle anymore. you wouldn't have you it just anymore. have the the urban urban circle and these labels are actually interesting because you call them expats it's interesting right expat community not migrants you, you migrant is migrant we don't like you it's a whole other a whole other debate words. right so this is another thing right yeah and then expats oh oh expat you know okay. i've heard we've, i feel like we've been quite down on the migration we, yeah we, we've kind of said that we're london until we die um, who knows i mean let's not say that because in case someone watches this in like 10 years time when you're applying to go off to you states or whatever and you're like oh you know ignore that so you never know right but <laughs> there we go let me uh, we'll close on two points i'm gonna yeah i heard of a, a scholar that moved to turkey and he was telling of some how he found it like really really excellent and wouldn't consider moving back to to anywhere he'd been before so he'd been in canada and jordan before uh but then i think we should go around and say three places you would be interested in moving to mm. and then also we'll summarize with three pros of moving and three cons of that's migration. excellent excellent so what the scholar was saying was primarily for his kids. So he had taken them to Turkey and was homeschooling them, which I think we didn't talk about. But if people want to avoid uh, the education system here, for whatever reason, a lot of people choose to homeschool and they're able to instill. Even, even here, they, they homeschool. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. the UK. And a lot of Muslims will homeschool here. They're With able to excellent success, by the way. Exactly. They're yeah. able to achieve a lot of academic success and give much more personal care than having you know, 20 or 30 kids in a class. You might have four or five. You have your own kids. What happens practically, this is maybe a, a different subject, we'll do homeschooling another day. Yeah. But, you know, they'll team up with other Muslims in the local area. Maybe you have four or five parents that are teaching, you know, five to ten kids. They set up their own sort of, I wouldn't say a mini school, but a homeschooling network among themselves. They're able to give the kids a lot more care and attention and a lot more free time as well. Maybe one, one parent takes the kids one day and they all go for a trip to the park. One day they're all going to go go swimming, go to the museum, and it's not too burdensome well. I'm sure it's very tough on the parents, but because they spread it among a small network, it, it becomes more tenable. Uh, so that's what a lot of Muslims are able to do here with great success uh, without necessarily having to go abroad. But anyway, so speaking, going back to the scholar that had moved abroad, uh, what he said he really liked is that he was able to homeschool his kids uh, when they were young. And then at a certain age, I think it was 7 or 14, send them into the public education system in Turkey. And he liked that the kids would never feel... They'd never feel weird or they'd never be bullied for being Muslim. Uh, that like that part of their identity, that might be a very strange or alien thing if they're in Canada and might be very much singled out, um, was very natural. And they could just be Muslim like, very naturally and comfortably in Turkey. And then with some conscientious effort, he was able to also find, okay, who are the other local scholars around here? Where's the local dhikr gathering? And they had just an abundance of things to choose from. It wasn't like they had to go to someone's 
you know converted house just to find a dhikr but there would be many yeah. happening nearby and you know they had they could go to local museums and they had local saints that were buried nearby as well you know Juma, you could feel the vibe you weren't rushing to Juma in between you know your, your, tr- your lunch break and trying to make excuses yeah. for why you're late back to work it was everyone understood and the streets were flowing with people from Juma and things you know halal food was everywhere cost of living's a lot cheaper and if you're able to work remotely so you can earn a salary that's you know comparable to what you would earn living in london live like a king uh, yeah, exactly uh you know save up a lot more give to charity more invest in your kids a lot more so he he did find a lot of benefits um and he was working 100 percent remotely a lot of the time he had a business that he, he ran with people across the globe so that worked really well for him uh so i think i think there can be a lot of a lot of great pros uh uh, where where would you move to? What are your three places? Ooh, if I could move and you gave me a, the option, a kind of blank check, okay, I would actually say um, the Middle East. Whereabouts? I would consider moving to any of the Gulf countries as well as Saudi Arabia because of what we mentioned, because of the opportunities. Um, I would also consider moving to far east the far east in asia okay whereabouts so hong kong singapore okay um arguably malaysia um and this is not just because of a, a muslim thing just economically or just 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 the, the way that the city is um that's the second place um or places the third option i'd consider moving to is south africa Okay. And I've heard that South Africa has the mix of the modern. And I've heard places like Cape Town and Johannesburg are really well-developed cities. You wouldn't think it. But at the same time, there's the the natural scenery and the wonders and abundance that you would never believe. So, so I would consider moving to. But then this is my caveat to all of these points is it's one of those things. It's easy for me to say moving to from my position of living in London, I don't know if I if I were to move, I think I want to come back. Like, I don't know if they're, and this is another thing, are they livable or are they visitable? Visitable, okay, very interesting. So your three pros, you had uh, natural beauty. Natural beauty, that's a good one. economics, of course. Right. And I would say, interesting, yeah, I, I haven't said religion because interesting, we kind of said, I think growing up in London, I don't, I don't think we need to worry about that i think you'll find something there but i think it's um yeah i'm really glad you said that i, yeah. I think i wouldn't put it in that way but it is so true i think in london you're, you're obviously free to practice your religion and you, know, you can live somewhere near a mosque you have your friends you have your family you're actually very comfortable to practice your religion yeah 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 i i, I never feel that it's, this is the reason why i need to leave um so yeah th- I think yeah and the third reason I'd say and it's kind of I'm, I'm having to kind of soul search is um, the idea of being in an area where I feel there is rapid development and growth and I want to be part of something like that and where there is growth and development at a fast pace I almost feel like better to be part of a steep curve upwards than an area where there's I think London where depending on who you speak to there is a saturation there is a peaking, whereas in those parts of the world, there is a whoosh moment. So the, the, risk, the risk and reward of uh, developing yeah. nations. And the uncertainty as a result of it. Uncertainty. Okay. That's really exciting. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I like that. 
Okay, well, where would my three be? So I'm actually really similar, really similar to you. So Turkey for and Istanbul. I'd love to live there for a bit for all the reasons mentioned. Uh, I think the the religious aspect, even though I think it's okay to practice your religion here. I think to some extent uh, it is a foreign thing to a lot of people. Yeah. Whereas it's not the same where you like in Turkey or Istanbul where you'll have, well, especially in the religious parts, you'll have the adhan going off in the streets. Everyone understands if you ask for halal meat and when people see you and notice that you're recognizably Muslim, they'll understand and that they'll treat you in a uh, in a certain way, uh, and yeah, that can be that can be really good. So Turkey would be one uh, for me. Singapore, uh, similarly, I think there's a lot of uh, economic opportunity there. Sounds very interesting. The weather is a big pull. You mm. know, it's, uh, they have good weather and air conditioning, which you don't always have in the UK. Great salaries, I've heard. You know, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, great salaries and job opportunities, and also it's just a very uh, developed country in the sense that yeah like london is also developed but so is england but you have it's a lot cleaner a lot safer i think it'd be really nice to live somewhere like that and people often say okay it's it's too clean it becomes sterile uh, i don't quite understand how someone can be too clean but mm. I, i'll wait and see and maybe it's true maybe but i think even if you live there for a few months you'll understand what's different to london and you'll come back with a, a greater appreciation for it so turkey singapore is there a third place I'm not. I don't think I'm that that interesting. I can think of these big, jet-setting moves. Uh, maybe Dubai, just because everyone else talks about it, and I'd like to know. Just it, be basic. Just yeah, say Dubai. Is it, is just it, be a bro. Well, just it, I, be a bro. I, the only reason I'd want to go worry, is just fine. for just to, to know to have a Lamborghini it, and to yeah, have a gold kind of just uh, Hublot or whatever it is. What's it? Richard Mille or whatever. Just yeah, just yeah. to know as well. Is it yeah. is it hype or are, are people onto something? Is yeah, there yeah, yeah, a yeah. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. There? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think that would be my three. And the pros, like we said, I think for me, uh, trying to find a more religious community would be nice. I think for me, learning would be a big one. So learning more about the world and about myself and about the environment we've grown up in. And would economic opportunity be a big one? Probably not. I think the economic opportunity for me would be in London in somewhere with a big tech scene. Uh, the third opportunity for me would be just that idea of holiday you're in you're not just in the same place you've grown up but you're yeah. somewhere new every weekend you can go to the beach you can you can feel like you're on holiday yeah that'd be my three and then oh we went to, did you do the cons as well what are the three Ooh, bad now, things I, I, it's almost like the kind of the inverse of what we already mentioned so the cons would be um so we mentioned you know what the positives say moving to the middle east the cons would be arguably and i'm not saying this in a controversial way a lack of city heritage so Mecca Medina we're not talking about here so before we start saying oh move to the Middle East how dare you say that this idea that because of the new build the new construction project it might be it might seem to to yeah a lot of the basic. places a lot of the places you'll move for work uh, will be very newly regenerated even even Mecca and Medina to a large extent yeah the the Kaaba and the Haram and the Masjid al Nabawi are old are ancient yeah but even then, uh, the carb has been extended so much in the last 10 years. And I, I think that's great. But it's not ancient in yeah. that sense. Well, obviously, it's an ancient house. But the masjid itself is, a lot of it is new. It's relatively mm. new extension. Same with Masjid Nabawi. The, the big arches and the big extension was was done in the 90s. It's not ancient. Obviously, it's an ancient masjid at, the, at its heart. But a lot of the surrounding area, for even these great ancient cities, is very new. Yeah. And regenerated very recently education and when i mean education i'm not speaking about ourselves because we're privileged to have been educated here if you have children obviously i don't and we don't 
would would they have the access to world class education or opportunities that they would from growing up in London or growing up in the US? I'm sure they it is there. You know, international schools, good schools. I'm sure there's a setup there, but I'm unfamiliar with it personally. So more due diligence is needed on that point. So that's one thing which I might be thinking. Do I Singapore, for example? I know for sure there is excellent, excellent education, arguably better in many respects in the UK. So I'm I'm no concerns about that. But in the Middle East, in places like Saudi Arabia, is it there? I'm sure there is as well, and um, there's lots and lots of international students from Saudi Arabia who are excelling in the UK system that we see. So. That, but still, I, I'm unfamiliar, and that's not because there isn't. It's just I'm unfamiliar. And the final reason I'd say is this: um, I still feel I'd get bored of places, even like Singapore. There is something uh, magical, and even though it's tried and tested, of a place like London or somewhere like New York or somewhere like that, where there is that every time you walk down a street, it looks different. Every time you, depending on the time of day, depending on the time of moment, you know, the moment, there's something happening, there's something to do, there's buzz. I'm someone, again, being a city guy or city boy my whole life, I I don't think I'd be able to let go of that kind of, you know, what we mentioned, the grime, even though there's a bit of the polish. I need the grime and the polish, if you know what I mean, which I'm not sure I'd get in a thoroughly new builder city, or even in Singapore. As you said, is, is it too clean? Or So I think those things would hold back the obvious caveats are family things like that yes of course that too but that's that's i think that's for everyone yeah i think that for me would be the biggest one uh friends and family yeah. obviously spent so long building up good network of friends over here but you you cut you cut your friends off at you know in, in two seconds so don't don't don't, don't <laughs> yeah, i know about you right so yeah. uh yeah okay so the friends they can get cut off but the yeah. family the family would be it would be i think the hardest thing i think yeah. if my parents moved moved abroad then I would feel less attached attached to London. So, yeah, the cons of moving would be leaving behind friends, family, and that network. I think leaving behind everything you know as well. I think trying to start afresh would be quite hard. Um, just trying to get to know like where where is the local community? What is the lo- what is there to do? There's only so much you can find on TripAdvisor, but that's information for a trip for a holiday. What about relocation? Where where do you find where is good to live? Where do you find where is it? You know where where is good to meet friends? Where is good mm. to eat at a reasonable price? All all these things that you have picked up over the years, this immense wealth of knowledge you have about London, and then starting completely afresh. Yeah, this is a funny, and this is the other point. The very 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 rich, they have options. They don't tie themselves to borders or citizenships or passports. Money, and I, I realize this. Money buys you anything in this world you know you can buy yourself a visa i mean well not be a citizenship almost you know if you invest x million dollars in this country they give you citizenship permanent residence you know the and very you, very wealthy live everywhere and you know where you're going to stay for exceptionally which you'll just stay in you know the, the best hotel and the best road for property is is obvious but where's the where's the middling road where's somewhere mm. decent how, how do you discern that that can be a lot harder um so yeah the, the ultra rich is can be easier well where are the kids going to go to school well there'll always be a great private school wherever you go so Mm. yeah that's a good point i think the third con i think would just be the risk of uh of starting over of being being a bit lost career suicide almost yeah career suicide social suicide you just you move somewhere new and you've just lost everything you know 
maybe you still have a job and a home and okay actually in the grand scheme of things you still have a lot of privilege you're very well off but all of that human connection everything you'd built up is now gone you're right. left behind what if the you know your job, i've heard as well i mean these spaces it could also be unstable the job market might be quite unstable as well um it depends again on the industry and the time and who you are and how good you are but that could also be an issue whereas and then going back to briefly you know the idea of is it a black mark on your cv that you move to a a less developed jurisdiction to make your money and then you you lost your job and you come back and now you're saying can you take me back please can you take me back please and like no we don't want you anymore this fear you know and you know this idea of who do you want to be are you someone who's a linkedin bro and you just want to be known on linkedin or is it as you said what's 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 money for what's your wealth for and the the potential you could lose your job and now you're left out in a system where you don't necessarily know how to navigate that um i think like you said though everything's more global these days you can still trying to end on a positive note you can still contact your family online keep in touch via facetime a lot of visit yeah a lot of families are are international where you know siblings will be each of them studying in different countries the parents live in another country their uncles and aunties are in their home country and and people could be spread across three or four continents easily. So it's definitely, I think, tenable. But Didn't you tell me once that everyone you knew or know who'd have done the, I'm going to move, I want to move, well, not everyone maybe, but a lot of them have somehow come back or want to come back or have somehow realized that the place they've left us in London or the UK is some somewhat better than the place they moved to? Yeah, I think it's rare to find someone that comes back to london and says oh this is why i left people come back saying like oh this is what i've missed this is what's been amazing uh so yeah pros pros and cons everywhere maybe let's end on on a positive what were the let's go for our three countries again so do you want to start yeah uh it's the middle east so the gulf and uh the well yeah, it's arabia you know in that sense um east far east so east asia um could be singapore hong kong malaysia and finally, I said South Africa. Um, I love that one. I've that, heard a lot of good things about Good things. Uh, I haven't visited, but it's one of those things where I need to, you know, the visitable, tra- you know, livable dichotomy, distinction, whatever, need to kind of work that one out. Um, I think mine were pretty similar. I said maybe Dubai just to check it out. Uh, Turkey for the religious experience and uh, Singapore for hopefully a, a balance of, of all of the above. Good, I think we got a good sound quality. I'm gonna clap now at the beginning to sync it up. Remind me to clap at the end as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, good. Yeah, I think we had a good one, yeah. What happened? I was meant to clap at the end to sync it up. Oh, it's fine. You know, if that's the worst thing that happens, that's great. Yeah.